Notes from America is supported by Future Hindsight, an award-winning podcast that shares big ideas about participating in American democracy beyond voting but short of running for office. Join host Mila Atmos for stimulating and incisive conversations with citizen changemakers on topics ranging from gerrymandering, policing equity, and voting rights. In this election year, Future Hindsight offers an unaffiliated perspective into what's at stake and how citizens can make an impact at the local, state, and national level. You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latte from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab. Adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. What does a brighter future for you look like in this town? I think it's hard to think of a future when people haven't really accepted or acknowledged the past. When I was growing up here, I am Osage, and I didn't know about the murders until David Grant's book came out. They didn't want to talk about it, and we never understood, but we do now. And then the people who are non-Osage that lived here either didn't know or they were complicit at the time. It was a, a nice-looking little town. Uh, there was lots of money. A lot of the money was, of course, siphoned off from Osages and built by white people. They didn't even really consider us human the way they killed us off and poisoned us. So maybe that movie is the beginning to some healing. How can you learn from this and encourage all of us to be better people? It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright. Welcome to the show. And a special shout out to listeners joining us for the first time this week from KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. Great to have you in the community. Martin Scorsese's latest epic film hit theaters this weekend. Killers of the Flower Moon gives the Hollywood treatment to a very real and painful history. The film tells the story of the murder of a huge number of Osage citizens in the early 20th century. During that time, the Osage were among the wealthiest people in the world because of oil underneath their reservation. White people in Oklahoma wanted access to that wealth, and they began to target the Osage in a sprawling conspiracy to steal it through marriage and murder. The film is based on a book by journalist David Grand, which was itself a sensation when it was published five years ago. It's part true crime, part history, part incredible narrative nonfiction that is now likely an Oscar vehicle for some of Hollywood's biggest names. So this week, in partnership with our friends at KOSU in Oklahoma, we're going to ask Osage citizens how they're processing this moment, what it means to have this difficult history excavated and dramatized for the whole country, for the world. What about that feels useful and healing, and what doesn't? I'm joined first by Damon Waters, who is an Osage and Ponca citizen. He's an actor and filmmaker working on his own documentary about Fairfax, Oklahoma, where much of the story takes place. Damon is one of many Osage citizens who were involved in Killers of the Flower Moon in one way or another, and his own family was touched by the history the film depicts. Damon, thanks for coming on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So you had a role in the film, as I said. Let's start there. What'd you do? Well, originally I was up for, uh, let me 
backtrack one quick second. When I, I was a young kid, they came for the last of the Mohicans to have extras. And I got mm. selected, but I missed the phone call. Mm. And so I missed out on that movie and years <laughs> have gone by. And whenever they said, we're going to do Killers of Flower Man, I was like, well, that's great. I'm Osage. So I went to be an extra for that. And they pulled me out of line and they asked me if I'd read some some lines. And I had never really done any acting before. Um, I said, sure, let's go. And they said they really liked me and they kept me on this roster. And then COVID hit and we uh, the movie got put on hold and it came back and they called me. And I was still up for a speaking role for a little bit. But I ended up not <laughs> getting it. But then they had me uh, do background work for Modern Osage Man for about 31 days. I filmed on the movie during the summer of 2021. Modern and Osage I, Man. Yeah. I'm in a lot. Of, I, I made a few scenes. I'm in the trailer in the black and white scene. I'm the golfer. The golf ball. <laughs> okay. And from what you saw, is it did it feel like it's really the case that Martin Scorsese engaged meaningfully with Osage people in telling telling your story? Um, certainly, oh, as absolutely. a viewer. Yeah, that's. So tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. I know that Martin came to uh, Gray Horse and came to some dinners way before. Uh, production started on the movie to meet with uh, Chief Standing Bear and uh, a lot of my family that that lives up in that area. I live down in Oklahoma City, about two hours away. Um, but he came and you know worked very closely with the nation to make sure that the story that he was going to tell was the story that the Osage and my tribe would approve of. Mm -hmm. And what kind of reaction are you hearing from Osage who have seen the film? I mean, I imagine it's a wide range, but any through lines you're picking up? Yeah, uh, you know, mostly positive. Uh, there are some that have some concerns about it still being told from the perspective of Ernest Burkhart and not necessarily from the Osage viewpoint. Yeah, and I can I can certainly understand that, and I understand why that you know that that came across in Marty's movie, but I I still think that it's important that the story itself got out there, and I know that there's majority of us uh are behind the movie and, and and really enjoyed the movie especially those of us who worked on the movie yeah. tell us about your grandmother rose she is actually part of this history right yes yeah, so uh my grandmother rose is mentioned in the book killers of the flower moon and for a, a time they tried to blame anna brown's murder on my grandmother so Anna Brown is yeah. one of the main uh, characters, uh, not characters, people um, depicted in the, in the story and in the nonfiction book. Um, Anna is um, the her murder is one of the things that sets in motion the FBI's investigation. Um, yes, uh, of, of of the story, and so so your grandmother was accused of of committing that murder. Yes, over jealousy of a boyfriend is what they tried to blame it on for a little while. Um, there's another book that was a precursor to Killers of the Firemen, which is called The Osage Murders, and it was written earlier in the 90s, and, and it goes into a little bit more detail about it. But um, my grandmother was accused because of a, a child, small child, said that they overheard her say this, like a five-year-old child, apparently, was the one who said, hey, we heard... Uh, Rose Osage says she killed him. So mm -hmm. that's kind of how that started. But it's briefly mentioned in the book, but they don't go into the detail and Killers of the Fire Moon. But, I mean, um, it kind of, it, it kind of to me suggests what you're describing there, just how truly how 
much these murders permeated society at that time, you know, that it's five-year-old kids were talking about it. Um, growing up, was this history that you talked about? Was this history that your family talked about? Well, yes, but not when I was so young. When, as I got older, my dad would tell me a lot of the stories, especially when the uh, the book that I mentioned previously, The Osage Murders, was released. And uh, we all had a copy, and my mom made sure that we read it. Um, my dad was born in 1935, and my grandmother passed away three months after that. And my father was taken out of custody from the, the tribe and put into uh, the custody of a family in Barnsdall, which is a nearby town on the Osage uh, Reservation. And he didn't grow up in uh, traditional Osage ways. He grew up with a, a Caucasian family. And um, so a lot of my life, uh, I'm... I grew up same way. I didn't grow up on the reservation, but I've always been wanting to get back mm -hmm. to meeting my family that I know I have there. And I, I haven't spent as much time there as I wanted to, but then through the course of this movie going back and uh, I was able to step back in time and envision what it must've been like to, to be able to see my grandma walking around the town of Fairfax or Pahuska uh, wearing those clothes from the 1920s and seeing all a lot a lot of the people that are on the movie are related to me um cousins and i just envisioned being back in time being able to to talk to my grandma i was very close to my grandma on my mother's side so i've always missed out on having my grandma on my father's side yeah. uh, what was that like for you then to be sort of fictionally walking back it it, it must be sort of a weird experience to think about you know this is a, a real life thing you you have longed for and you're experiencing it in a fictional setting yes um it, but when i was on set there was times where i didn't see any of the camera crew i didn't see mm. any of the the things were around i just focused on the people that were there and it was very emotional sometimes there were sometimes the uh, I was overtaken by the emotion. My grandmother actually was uh, deceased from an opiate overdose. Mm -hmm. You know, this book focuses on one subset of murders, but there's a lot of things that happen that aren't really mentioned in this book. Um, and this goes on to 1935. My grandmother, uh, there was a doctor that just came door to door and would inject Osage people with uh, opiate wow. to uh, get them, their doctor would get them over their sickness. And so my dad was born addicted to opiate and he had to go, you know, he almost didn't make it as a small child. And, and then my grandmother uh, passed away shortly after that. Yeah. I mean, the, the official federal investigation says 24 people were murdered and that's the subject of this film. Um, many Osage point out that the number is a far undercount. Um, and, and that's what you're talking about here, that there, this went on in all kinds of different ways. Um, yes. Is how much is that history? Is that idea discussed even in the present tense? I mean, so David Gran, uh, who wrote the original nonfiction version of Killers of the Flower Moon, published uh, an op-ed in the Times this weekend, in the New York Times this weekend, that pointed out, you know, Oklahoma is one of the states that's banned, uh, that's passed laws uh, restricting the, what can be taught in classrooms. Uh, around race and sexuality, and has said that teachers have told him that Killers of the Flower Moon is one of the books that people are scared to talk about. Um, do, do, do you hear that? Are you seeing that too um, in Oklahoma in general, that this is history that people 
even in present tense, can't learn? Yes. Uh, you know, whenever I talk to people about the story, people are flabbergasted. They had no idea that this this had gone on, you know, much like Black Wall Street that happened simultaneously mm-hmm. almost. Um, it's a part of our history that yeah, in Tulsa, yeah, which is about an hour away from the Osage Reservation. And um, it is something that uh, the state uh, has always tried to keep under the rug. They don't want this to to get out. And I I cannot believe that the book is banned. There's a lot of books that are banned that I just cannot believe, but especially this one. And, um, you know, uh, someone, Addy Roanhorse said, you can ban the book, but you can't ban Martin Scorsese. And so <laughs> the story is going to make it out one way or another. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's this is the power of Hollywood, <laughs> as it is difficult to contain once unleashed. We need to take a break. I'm Kai Wright, and I'm talking with Osage citizen Damon Waters about the new film Killers of the Flower Moon and the real history it dramatizes. Coming up, we will visit Fairfax, Oklahoma to meet Osage citizens who are trying to hold on to this painful history, to insist that the world learn it and through their eyes, but also who are trying to move forward to something new. We'll hear from Fairfax after a break. Carnegie Hall has welcomed a dizzying array of performers. To have Andy Kaufman, Frank Zappa, and Birkett Nielsen and Horowitz on the same stage, it becomes this kaleidoscope of our history. I'm Jessica Vosk. Join me for the new podcast, If This Hall Could Talk. It's all about our unique cultural history, as witnessed by one of New York's most beloved institutions, Carnegie Hall. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright. Martin Scorsese's new film, Killers of the Flower Moon, opened in theaters this weekend. It tells the story of an early 20th century plot to murder dozens of Osage citizens in order to steal the wealth drawn from oil on their land. This is an actual thing that happened in actual history in a real place, Fairfax, Oklahoma. We've partnered this week with our friends at KOSU in Oklahoma, and their Indigenous Affairs reporter, Allison Herrera, spent time in Fairfax asking Osage people about the future. And she's going to take us there, too. Here's Allison. We're walking down the main street of Fairfax, Oklahoma, with Dr. Joe and Carol Connor. Probably uh, the center of town. Joe's an Osage citizen who grew up in a small town nearby called Granola. His great-grandfather, William Connor, was one of the first lawyers for the Osage Nation when they were resisting the process of allotment in the late 1900s. His family is steeped in Osage history, and today he and his wife Carol are giving me a tour of Fairfax. Any historic photos taken of this town focus right on this block that we're standing on right now, because it's is the kind of the center right up here. This it's a small town with a population of about 1,100. There's a lot of ranch trucks that are passing. This is the cars they usually see are trucks 
ranch trucks. So a few years ago, it really started catching their attention when they would see cars parked in front of the historic Tall Chief Theater. And so I would be driving down our main street, which is mostly vacant of cars, and there would be a Volvo or a Lexus. So I would pull up next to them and say, what are you doing here? Did you read the book? And they would say, how did you know that? Well, duh, there's no one else on the street and you're in a Lexus from Minnesota. (laughs) And they would say, I read this book and it was so touching that I just thought I have to go there and see this. And this happened over and over and over. Many of those people have actually returned to our town. Many subscribe to the Fairfax Chiefs so they can see what's going on. They all came to get some understanding of how these murders could have happened and what's going on now. The book was David Grant's nonfiction account, Killers of the Flower Moon, about the brutal murders of Osage citizens for their wealth and land. Joe and Carol realized they couldn't stop and talk to everyone. So with money from the nonprofit they run called the Fairfax Community Foundation, they decided to do something about it. So I basically created this exhibit, giving people a background of who the Osage people were, how we got here, what led up to the murders. He didn't want to create an exhibit about the murders. People coming here already knew about that because they read the book. He wanted to tell people the why. And also importantly, what was the impact of those murders on this community afterwards? But to understand the impact, people have to know what exactly happened to so many Osages. The official death toll is around 24, but many Osages suspect it's higher. Even though the murders began over 100 years ago, they are still not widely discussed in Fairfax. When David Grant published Killers of the Flower Moon, more people got interested in this dark period of Osage history. But some people in Fairfax didn't know, and they didn't want to talk about it. Carol realized this after putting an item in the Fairfax Chief, a newspaper she and Joe publish that's been around since the 1920s. And so small-town newspapers, no one ever unsubscribes. They die but they don't unsubscribe. But the week that we had David Grant at the Tall Chief Theater to sign books, I had 12 people unsubscribe from the newspaper. But a few years later, attitudes began to change. Martin Scorsese signed on to direct the movie, and that was exciting. And more importantly, his film crew actually listened to Osages about their concerns for the movie. I was part of that 150 or so Osages that met with Scorsese and talked to him personally about making sure that we weren't stereotyped, that it was a challenge for him because he doesn't know anything about our culture and he doesn't know about this particular time in our culture, which was a transition period between very traditional people who were living pretty simple lives to suddenly millionaires in the 20s, the roaring 20s. And so we, you know, were a part of that as a blending those cultures. And getting that right in a movie is going to be difficult. After that conversation, the production hired hundreds of Osages to be extras in the movie and work behind the scenes. The people I've talked to felt committed. 
This wasn't going to be made about them, but with them. Cultural and language consultants were hired, and excitement was palpable. Joe and Carol Connor wanted to take that momentum of the film and run with it. At the same time, though, Joe wondered if it was history repeating itself. He wanted to make sure Osages were going to get something out of it. Well, okay, is this another example of us being exploited? In this case, what's being taken is our history, and it's going to be used by other people for their own wealth and their own personal gain. Will they take that money and build houses on the French Riviera and Hollywood and leave us this derelict, abandoned wreck of a town here where they got the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Will that happen again? We hope not. We hope that they, you know, will have an epiphany and say, oh, yeah, we probably ought to leave this place a little better than we found it. So Joe and Carol seized the moment. They had a vision of where to start if they wanted to improve the community and make it so much more than a place only associated with tragedy. Oh, we're standing right in front of the uh, Tall Chief Theater, uh, built by Alex Tall Chief. Right after the murders in the late 1920s, Osage citizen Alex Tall Chief built one of the most recognizable structures in town, the Tall Chief Theater. He built it in honor of his two daughters, Osage ballerinas Marjorie and Maria Tall Chief. Its red and gold marquee pops out among this small main street that has a number of buildings that are vacant or are falling in. The Tall Chief Theater also needs some love. Its roof was damaged after a recent tornado. The theater was built to improve the mood of the community after the murders, and saving it is a passion project for Joe Connor. And we see this as an investment in the future of not only just Osages, but also the entire community. Uh, So that's why it's important to us, is to make sure that legacy, not just the murder legacy, but the resilience and response to try to uplift us. Osage citizen Danette Daniels is also trying to uplift the community. She was raised here. She's opening a museum, gift, and coffee shop in a building she bought and renovated. I want to be part of um, bringing Fairfax back, uh, revitalizing Fairfax. Daniels will be selling books about Osage culture, Osage broadcloth blankets that can be seen in the movie, and eventually she wants to give tours of the building's second floor. So this is Phil in the movie. That's where the two doctors, the Schoen brothers, allegedly poisoned Osages. I asked Danette how she felt about offering tours to people about this terrible subject. Well, it's history. Yeah. So it's just the truth. And people need to understand the truth. What does it feel like to own part of this history? Uh, It feels good, especially as an Osage person. Yeah, taking it back. And this was built with Osage money. Yeah. So, pretty sweet. A lot of Fairfax was built with Osage money. And some of those families, they still live in this community. For Danette Daniels and the Connors, they want to be part of making a memorial to the victims of this tragedy, but also revitalize this town so people can heal and move forward. They want the Tall Chief Theater to again hold plays and movie screenings and maybe turn part of the building into studios for artists. It's all part of a plan to uplift Fairfax and have residents here tell their own story. That was Allison Herrera, 
Indigenous Affairs reporter for our partners at KOSU. She was reporting from Fairfax, Oklahoma. Joe Connor has passed since Allison spoke to him for this story. He's survived by his wife, Carol, and many, many family members and friends. And there are also many people still in Fairfax who share Joe's vision for the community, one of revitalization, investment, and growth. And Damon Waters is one of those people, and he joins me again now to continue our conversation. Damon, uh, at the end of the story there that Allison was telling us, we heard from Danette, uh, who was sort of, I hear her and Allison kind of wrestling with this question of like, where do you, how do you, quote, take ownership of this history, but not let it dominate the future of this place? Um, and I just want to, I wonder, you know, how much you're thinking about that general question. Yeah, I will say that, you know, by time on the film, there was a day that uh, we were on a break. And we were actually filming in Fairfax. A lot of the movie was filmed in Pahuska because Fairfax didn't, uh, was really capable of having the look that it had just because it's been run down in the state it's in. And I looked around and I saw all the different movie stars that were there around me and all the money that was right here in front of me, how much these people were worth. And mm -hmm. I looked back down the street and I can see abandoned houses, burned down houses, empty houses, uh, empty grocery stores. Now we were on set, everything looks really good in the vicinity, but all around there. And I thought how unfair it was going to be whenever Hollywood leaves this town again. Um, and, and what a strange, almost 100 years later coincidence that we're, we're still having this money here and it's going away. And I thought to myself that day, I wish there was something I could do. I thought, well, if I could win the lottery, I'd come back here and buy some of these buildings <laughs> and renovate them. Um, and that night, I had my picture taken by Carol Connor. Mm -hmm. And I started to talk to her and get to know her. And then after the movie wrapped, a few months later, uh, I started a career, a part-time career in acting and making movies. It just kind of opened up for me. And I got a call that said, hey, Damon, will you direct a movie about the the, the uh, Tall Chief Theater in Fairfax? Would you be up for that? And if there's one thing I've learned, it's just to say yes to everything <laughs> from this point on. <laughs> That's right, Damon. So, yeah. <laughs> so I started my own production company called Billy George Productions, named after my dad, Billy George. Um some of my my uh, retirement money. I'm a software developer by trade for the last 20 years, so I, I dipped into a little bit of my retirement money and started a, a production company, bought a lot of lights and microphones and a nice <laughs> camera. And uh, my documentary is almost done. It should be coming out this week. It's going to debut at the Circle Cinema, hopefully, there in, in Tulsa. Um, I was trying to get it done before the killer's release. There's just been some challenges, some personal challenges I've been going through. And wow, that's also... Yeah, since since Joe passed away, I, I, a little bit of the, the tone of the film has changed. Um, yeah, yeah. Joe was like, uh, he was a real good friend to me, and it was very tough to, to hear of his passing. Yeah. We're going to talk a little more about that here in a second. But listeners, we also want to hear from you for the rest of the hour, particularly if you're Osage. Uh, but I think a lot of Indigenous communities can probably relate to this question that folks are wrestling with. How are you holding on to the history taking ownership of it in the way that Joe and Carol and Damon are trying to do without letting it define the future. What's the balance there for you? You can call or text us either way. Uh, and if you're Osage, we'd also really love to hear your reaction to the film after seeing it, whatever you're, it left you feeling or thinking. Uh, so your film, the, your documentary that you're working on, it's also about the Tall Chief Theater 
who is Alex Tallchief? We heard we heard him mentioned in the piece that Allison Herrera just brought us from Fairfax, but introduce us to 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 Alex Tallchief. Alex was one of the original Alati members of the the Osage Nation, and he was Alati, meaning that he was allotted a section of land from the government. My grandmother was one of those as well. Uh, and after the murders had kind of ceased, uh, Bill Hale was put to prison. All the Osage, if they hadn't fled to either Colorado, they they stayed inside their houses, they stayed inside their homes, and they didn't go and and they didn't go anywhere. That still happens today, actually. Uh, there's a lot of Osage that just stay right in their home. They don't want to mm. be anywhere around the town. Alex built because I'm sorry, the, just uh, to make sure I understand what you're saying. Because of the trauma from it, they were like, "I'm just not going out here anymore. I'm going to hide." Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Yes, it, it's Osages would keep their some of their family just at home all the time and. Um, Alex built the theater as a place for us to have a place to get back together. Let's come back out and in, into the city and let's come back out and get into the streets. And I, I, Joe would always say, you know, of course he also built it to make some money, but <laughs> he also built it just for us to all have a place to go in town. And the theater was a great place for everyone. Uh, you know, I think, in my movie, I have a cousin that talks about when he was a kid, that was the thing to do on Saturdays is to go to the Tall Chief Theater and see a matinee. And I think that it's awesome now that we're here we are again. We're trying to get the theater back together to get everybody back out to support this town. Mm-hmm. What what happened to the theater? Like, what? why does it need to be renovated, I guess? Or why does it need to be revitalized? Why didn't it stay this vital thing that Alex was trying to create? I think there's a, quite a few reasons. You know, it, I think it, if I remember correctly, it's the last day that was open was early 72. Um, and the town had really dropped off. I heard when Halliburton left town, a lot of the employees and things had left the town just kind of, you know, aside from all the murders that had happened and aside from all the history that's happened there in Fairfax, I think the town just kind of dwindled away. And, Joe almost had the theater back up to a state where they were going to be able to renovate the inside. And in 2016, a tornado comes through town, comes through the front door of the theater, goes right through and blows the top of the roof up. I mean, the roof is just all over the stage. It's completely missing, basically. Wow. Now. And that was a real, uh, a real setback for the plan to get it open. Wow. When you say that, that the, um, you know, Osage just started high, just staying in the house, how long did that go on? Or is that is that still the case? There, there might be a few cases that's still going on today. Yeah, uh, it, it happened a lot. And I mean, especially in the eighties, nineties, I think it was still happening. Um, and, and you know, not to say that all the Osages are like that or do, are doing that, but I think there was such a something that's really come to my knowledge lately as as I'm an adult and wrestle with some of my own things. But this generational trauma that's just happened. And it, you know, it still affects everybody still there in, in our, our three cities, Pahuska, Hominy, and Greyhorse. Mm. Yeah. You just keep carrying it. I mean, this is sadly familiar for a lot of communities of color, um, that generational trauma that, that you're yes. talking about. It's, it's a, it's a too common conversation. We need to take a break. I'm Kai Wright, and I'm talking with Osage citizen and filmmaker Damon Waters about the history that's dramatized in the new film, Killers of the Flower Moon. It hit theaters this weekend and has already stirred a lot of conversation about how and why and for whom this history gets told. 
Our phones are open for Indigenous listeners, in particular if you're Osage. What's your reaction to the film? And more generally, how are you holding on to sometimes painful history, getting ownership of it, without letting it define your future? What's your balance on that for you? We'll be right back. everyone. My name is Rahima and I help produce the show. I want to remind you that if you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Here's how. First, you can email us. The address is notes at wnyc.org. Second, you can send us a voice message. Go to notesfromamerica.org and click on the green button that says start recording. Finally, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram. The handle for both is noteswithkai. However you want to reach us, we'd love to hear from you and maybe use your message on the show. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Welcome back. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright, and we're talking about the painful history that's been dramatized in the new film, Killers of the Flower Moon, and about the future of the Oklahoma town where it is set. I'm joined by Damon Waters. He's an Osage citizen, an actor and filmmaker who's part of a broader effort to invest in Fairfax and whose family the story touched. Uh, Damon, can I ask you about the true crime sensation of it all? Um, You know, uh, certainly in audio and uh, podcasting, true crime is the hot commodity. Um, We heard Carol uh, earlier in the show in Fairfax talking about the people driving up in their luxury automobiles. I don't know. How do, how do you feel about um, the way people entering this history through a true crime lens? Well, I think it's, I think it's great. Uh, <laughs> All right. Help one, me I out. mean, I think, well, I think it brings people to the town and, and that's one of the goals as to why we want to open the theater, uh, you know, to, to capitalize on some of the revenue from tourism. that's coming through the town. There's when you come through Fairfax, there's not really much to go on, uh, to go there. There's treats, the coffee shop, uh, there's a barbecue <laughs> joint and a uh, grocery store, and then the Tall Chief Theater, and then a gas station, of course. But um, <laughs> just to see all those people come through, when I would come to town, there's always someone talking to Joe. And Joe was so good at telling stories and then meeting people. I would think when I first would run into him with these this group of people that these were his cousins or a friend. He's like, oh, no, those people just showed up and... I just started talking to him and they would follow Joe around all day. They, you know, he would love to tell all the stories about everything. Um, and so those are the people that, you know, are, are invested in this, this true crime and they want to know, most people can't believe that this has happened. And, you know, they've had people come from all over the world to this town so far. And uh, we're really hoping that based on the movie, when the, after the movie is released, that that is only going to further the tourism that comes to town. And that, you know, tourism, however they got there, I guess the theory is whatever was on your heart that brought you here, now you're here. Um, and can yeah. we can we use that in some way to develop this place, I guess? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, one of the Osage language consultants on the film, on Killer and the Father Moon, was, was asked during the film premiere about how he felt about it. And I want to play something he said, because I thought it was just really interesting. He said he had some conflicted feelings um, and, and you know when he's when he was asked by the Hollywood Reporter, he said, "Oh, I liked it, but also I, the point of view was a little off." This is Christopher Coat. 
As an Osage, I really wanted this to be from the perspective of Molly and what her family experienced. But I think it would take an Osage to do that. Um, Martin Scorsese not being Osage, I think he did a great job representing our people. But this story is being told, this history is being told almost from, from the perspective of um, Ernest Burkhart. And they kind of give him this conscience and they kind of depict that there's love. But when somebody conspires to murder your entire family, uh, that's not love. That's not love. That's, that's, just beyond, that's just beyond abuse. So that was Christopher Cote, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name, who was the, one of the language consultants on the film. He is Osage. Um, and Damon, I mean, did, you mentioned this earlier that you had thoughts about, you know, the point of view it was shot from. Um, what do you think about what he's saying? I mean, does, does, does that, does it matter to you where that it came, whose point of view the, the movie came from? Well, I got to say, I, I'm conflicted as well. Uh, you know, I like the fact that the the story is getting out there. Um, I will say that my first day of filming, we we went to the uh, Drummond Ranch to film, and I thought, well, why would we go to the Drummond Ranch to film? We have all this other Osage land everywhere else. Granted, the Drummonds do own a lot of land, and I think you can hear a lot about how that came to be in the uh, In Trust podcast by Bloomberg. Mm. Um, so. It, it is conflicting. It's great for the that the story is getting out there. The story is a story that needs to be told. It needs to be told so that these kinds of things don't get repeated, right? But I and I think I mentioned a little bit earlier. I have the kind of the same viewpoint as as Chris is that, yeah, it, uh, they gave Ernest a little bit of the, you know, Leonardo the the love of his character kind of. You know, when I always read the story, I just thought of him as a sinister guy. And now he's he's coming across as maybe a little bit lovable. I took my daughter to watch the, the movie, the premiere with me the other day, and she leaned over and she goes, is he a good guy or a bad guy? Oh, wow. And That's I, so interesting. Yeah. I was like, well, let's, I go, why don't you keep watching and tell me what you think, what you think it is. What wow. You being so. That's really fascinating. I mean, I struggled throughout with this when I watched it, I have to say. So, I mean, you have to expect that this is going to be the case. Leonardo, you know, it's Leonardo DiCaprio. He's the star of the film. He's going to have to have some kind of complicated character. And who knows? I don't know the history. Maybe um, this this white man was in love with Molly. Um, I did appreciate the fact that it was just like an unflinching portrayal of the ways in which in our history, Humans of all sort, but certainly uh, white communities, have rationalized horrific violence. Um, that that you were able to see the way that the um, that the the lead white characters and those people in real life rationalized what they were doing, um, and that somehow was satisfying to me. Um, but the interior lives of the Osage did feel a little flat. I have to say. It, it, I mean, did did you feel how how much do you feel like you got the interior lives of the Osage people in the movie? Well, you know, I think Molly could have got a little bit more screen time. I wish that maybe my grandma got a little screen time on there. You know, she's mentioned in the book. I was always looking forward to maybe having a portrayal where she gets, uh, you know, they talk to her about the murder a little bit and, um. 
But I certainly understand it, you know, and uh, it's a great movie. Scorsese is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. So uh, there's there's the part of me that just loves this as a Scorsese movie, and there's a part of me as a as Osage citizen that says, well, it's good. It's good. I wish it could have been a little bit more of our viewpoint. And I think that's going to happen still. I think there's yeah. still talks of uh, there's a book uh, by Charles Redcorn called A Pipe for February that's mentioned a little bit in this movie and, and certainly referenced in the credits uh, as some of the uh, design that Martin took from. But uh, there's talk of that becoming a, a, either a series or a movie. And Scorsese is going to produce it. And it's a fictionalized account, but it's from the Osage viewpoint. And it's basically, you know, one foot in the past, one foot in the future. How do we, uh, as a tribe, go through this? We, you've mentioned Molly. We've mentioned Molly a few times. She is uh, the person who's who's she spurred the investigation in some way when her sister was killed. Um, well, two of her sisters were killed, and um, she is in this history a bit of the heroine. Um, you know, in that she went and demanded an investigation from the federal government. How is she remembered in Fairfax? Is she thought of as uh, a heroic um, person in history, or or do people know about her? Well, a lot of them do now. Um, (laughs) Right. You know, uh, my cousin Owen, who we heard uh, talking in the uh, Allison's interview earlier, he's like, you know, I grew up in this town. I didn't even know any of this story until I was a teenager uh, and just growing up in Fairfax. And so I think mostly she's looked at as uh, uh, a sad figure, you know, Um, it's certainly heroic, certainly to make it through all that she did. But I think a lot of people just sympathize with her and her story. You know, she watched her whole family get murdered all around her. And uh, the fact that she made it out through there is certainly something to be said about, you know, the the will to survive of of Molly. But uh, I don't know if she's necessarily looked at as a heroic figure, but maybe after this movie, she will be. Yeah. Was she to you? Did you, did, how, how much of this did you know before you went to work on this film and before you read the book? I mean, I know you had your own, the story of your own grandmother, but how much of this history did you even know? Well, I didn't, there's lots of it that I didn't know. I certainly knew about the sisters, but I didn't know the detail, um, you know, and and part of that was just me being younger and not paying attention to uh, things as a teenager or a young adult. And as I got older, I really wanted to learn more about the history of my tribe and, and some of these things that had happened. I was fascinated with my, the fact that my grandmother was in these stories. And um, so I did learn a lot about the, the sisters uh, through the book. But uh, prior to that, I, I just kind of knew of them. I didn't know a lot of the detail. Mm-hmm. And and did you know about the wealth, I guess? Because part of it is, you know, we're, we're, we keep hearing this description in the, in the course of our conversation of Fairfax now as this place, you know, I, I think Joe Connor in the earlier referred to the derelict and abandoned, um, words like that. Uh, growing up, I guess you would have seen that. D- did you know about the wealth that, that used to exist? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I... Stories from my dad, he would talk about how he always heard stories about his mom. Uh, the The big car at the time was the the Arrow Pacer, and they would buy the Arrow Pacer. And my, they said that my grandma would fill the ashtray up and just leave it on the side of the road and buy another one. Um, 
so and, and a little bit of that's depicted they they talk about that in the in the movie briefly that apparently that was a thing they didn't really care to upkeep with the cars i mean the cars were so new to us the money was so new to us we just didn't really have i think a, a real value of how some of us you know but not to not to say that that was you know uh, the case for everyone but uh i think that that was just a hard thing to navigate as as uh a people coming into oklahoma we've been through some terrible times and all of a sudden we have all this money um okay what do we do with it yeah buy a yeah. car <laughs> i mean you know um i just it's i i, I have to imagine the rage um of the for the loss of that wealth um thinking about where the town is today um and where that what that wealth could be used for um, listeners, we can hear from you if you want to join this conversation, particularly if you are Osage or a uh, indigenous listener, 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. Uh, and let's go to Alan in Westchester, who is not Osage, uh, but wants to chime in. Alan, welcome to the show. Well, hello. How you doing? Very well. What did, what did you want to add? Um. I just find it to be great to, to hear new information, you know, factual information about history. And hopefully we could do more of this and no one has to feel, you know, stereotyped or feel like they're being uh, depicted in a bad way. Because it's just the truth about what's taking place in history. Had you had you heard any of this history, Alan, before Killers of the Flower Moon? No, no, not at all. I haven't I, When I saw the uh, preview for the movie, I didn't know that it was a based on facts. I just thought it was a, a movie with some interesting actors. But now listening to you guys, which I greatly appreciate, you, you can get the facts. Okay. Thank you for that, Alan. Uh, so this is what we're talking about, Damon, is that, you know, I, it's one thing to have a book. It's another thing to have a Hollywood film <laughs> um, to get yeah. people's attention. What is, I mean, the sort of a subtext of a lot of this is like every time there is a movie like this that deals with a difficult history, particularly for one of our communities that um, that, that is often left out of Hollywood stories told by some white person is like, basically, did they get it right? You know, everybody wants to know, did they get it right? So in the just in the context of this film, what does that what would that even mean for you? I mean, we've talked about it in some of the details, but like getting it right, what what does that mean for a film like this to you? Well, you know, I, I'm an Osage citizen, but I can't say that I'm an expert on everything Osage. But I feel that to get it right would you know I think they did it as close as they could. It's a it's a great movie. Uh, you're certainly going to be entertained. It goes by really quickly for the three and a half hour runtime that it is. <laughs> and so I don't know if you could ever get the story right, but I think it gets close enough. Yeah. I think the fact that the story is out there and people are going to the theater to see it. And uh, I think that's just, I think that's right. And for you, it sounds like it has profoundly changed your life. Yeah, uh, it absolutely has. You know, I remember as a kid going to Fairfax with my dad and my dad would be like, oh, I got to run into Fairfax. And we'd go and I would say, oh, I don't want to be in this town at all. And so, because uh, it was just so abandoned and run down, there wasn't nothing mm -hmm. to do as a kid. And then, you know, um, now we come coming back, I understand the importance and of trying to get this town back to its glory day. And, you know, it might not ever get there, but I think it's a town that deserves to be uh, in the spotlight. And it's a town that deserves to have uh, all the glory that comes to it. 
the revenue from tourism, I think, is something that's you know not being able to be capitalized on because of the the condition of the town. And so, uh, I just feel I, I feel such a sense of unfairness, and I, I want to just bring some kind of justice back to this town. And I feel like this is a start for us. So things are starting to happen. Some people are starting to help us out and we're starting to revitalize the town. And I can't wait to see what this town's going to look like in 10 years. How about that? I, I just quickly to correct, I, earlier I mentioned Molly Burkhart um, had two sisters. She had three sisters in total and all of them died within five years. That's one family. That's the main family that's, that's depicted in the movie. Um, but as you have told us, Damon, that is just the beginning of the death. Um, you know, we're talking about revitalizing the town. Um, what about revitalizing the people? Like, what is that going to look like? Um, it sounds like you are going through a bit of a revitalization yourself from this history. Um, what does it mean and what will it take to revitalize the the Osage people, if that is even necessary? Help me, help me think about that. Well, I will say that that's something that, uh, you know, Joe was good to speak on too. It's, like, it's just not just for the Osage people. I think the the Osage people that are in town only make up three percent of the population. Only nine percent of the town of Fairfax is indigenous. Uh, the rest is uh, a mixture of uh, Caucasian and African American. Um, so it's not predominantly an Osage town anymore. And Joe wants to bring it, and, and Carol, and myself, and Owen. We want to just make this for the town. And uh, certainly we want the theater to be there for uh, indigenous playwrights and movies to premiere and things, because we're, we're right there in the heart of the Osage Nation. Uh, but the town itself is not predominantly Osage anymore. So it, it's a good question, and it's something that's going to be hard to navigate and hard to see uh, how things go. Because, you know, like Carol said, the day that David Gron talked in – uh, in town, they had 12 people unsubscribe from the yeah. uh, the paper. There's still a presence there that uh, doesn't want these types of things to happen. It's hard history. We will have to leave it there. Thanks to Osage citizen, filmmaker, and actor Damon Waters. Look out for his new documentary about the Tall Chief Theater in Fairfax, Oklahoma. Thanks for this time, Damon. Thanks for having me. Thanks to our friends at KOSU in Oklahoma for partnering with us on this show. And uh, you can always keep talking to us. Go to notesfromamerica.org. Look for the green record button. Notes from America is a production of WNYC Studios. Follow us wherever you get your podcast and on Instagram at Notes with Kai. It has been lovely talking to you this week, and I look forward to talking to you next. Take care. Take care.